With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. five-year plan extra podcast here at the car park in Sellers where Steve Parrish has just driven past us in very nice car I don't know what it was Chelsea but what was it very nice it was car. vintage triumph it was, a bit like it our was season it triumph was it triumph. <laughs> good okay and uh, this pod is sponsored well this is obviously the game after Palace have beaten West Brom 2-0 final game of the season to finish 11th in the table this pod is sponsored by Miranda Jane Photography for professional unique photography weddings and more go to mirandajanephotography.co.uk and I am joined by three very special men we of course have got Adam Sells good evening it's not, I, mean, I it's like being called a special man seven. as well probably my missus felt the same way brilliant um, <laughs> Tom Maslona how you doing hello Jim good to be here man and uh, making his debut it's uh, Hung- Hungary's number one Palace fan Akosh Kovac how are you sir uh, hello very is good thank you <laughs> is, there, good. is there a number two I don't know is there Akosh <laughs> yeah my brother okay <laughs> good. good right okay shall we start then with I'll go to you Tom first I mean really what was a quite straightforward game for Palace wasn't it West Brom didn't offer much they obviously already relegated Palace first half not brilliant second half got the job done yeah, I think you've summed it up there, really. I Good, thought, let's go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've waited long enough. Um, I thought when we moved the ball quicker, which we tend to do a couple of times in the second half, uh, we got in behind them. I thought the problem first half, uh, in as much as trying to break them down, was we were too, too slow on the ball. Um, and West Brom packed their defence and we just couldn't really get in behind them. Um, Kabai and Luca played quite deep in that position I hate centre midfielders to play sort of quite level with the centre halves and then they're sort of playing like quarterbacks really trying to ping long passes but Van Arnholt's second half really injected a bit of pace into the left side and him and um, Loftus-Cheek linked, linked up well and actually Zaha's goal was very similar to um, an opportunity they missed maybe about 10-15 minutes earlier when they'd overlapped on the left hand side again and, and not one back to him but really it was about injecting a bit of pace into our play but no, they didn't really threaten um, West Brom at all. Akos, it was your second game of the season. First one was Liverpool away back in August, a long time ago. What were you expecting from Palace today? Did you expect it to be an easy game or did it kind of go how you thought it might go today? Yeah, I expected um, an, an easy game. So uh, based on the last couple of games we played, so 
uh, I thought it should be a win. Uh, I thought we could finish 10th, so a top half finish, but unfortunately uh, uh, Chelsea did not turn up today, so finish 11th, so it's, it's still amazing based on the very first couple of months of the season. Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, Chelsea, I think Palace now are, well, I think they were going into this game, so they must still be top, the, the, the most informed team in, in the Premier League. Unbeaten in eight, which I believe only Man City hold that as well, I think. It, it's been almost a very un-Palace way to end the season, isn't it? It's been very consistent, very professional. Yeah, I think I was sitting there during the second half today, just thinking how enjoyable this is. And there's a young lad sitting next to me who was 12, and I said to him, how many seasons have you been coming to watch Crystal Palace? He said, oh, this is my fourth season. And I said to him, We've never had it so good, trust me. We've never had it. And and actually, that's the reality. I really uh, can say that. I don't think, and I'm going to stick my neck out here and say not only is the best we've ever had it, but actually the football we're playing is probably the best I've seen for, well, I can't remember. I have to say, we haven't just stayed up Tony Pulis style where we're grinding out results and stuff. We're actually playing some fantastic football. It's a pleasure to come and watch the games. We've got goals in us every week. I mean, our, our, our Premier League goals at home this season on a completely different level, stat-wise, to anything we've achieved, I'm sure, before now. I haven't checked that, but just, you know, it seems that we don't turn up and not score at least twice at any home game too often, you know, and uh, it is it is actually a real pleasure at the moment. It's very enjoyable and you know, fans, their expectancy levels risen. You know, and Steve Parrish gets a lot of unfair criticism, considering, frankly, he's the best chairman in the history of the football club. We've never had this time and this period at the at the top of the uh, English game, and really, we've got top players. You know, a good squad. You know, worth a lot of money, and and it, it really has never been this good. Honestly, I can't yeah. I can't say it has. And and today. It was nice to turn up and actually just enjoy the game and see it for what it was, you know. And we have a um, and we have a situation where had a little bit of a, a testimonial feel perhaps in the first half, but we we played some good stuff yeah. and really got the job done in the end. I mean, I think they had one very weak shot on target near the end, and that was the sum total of their efforts. So I didn't think it was ever in doubt really, and we uh, we could turn it up when we needed to, and we did. Yeah, the football. As uh, Adam just said, Akosh was very good. And in fact, going back to that other game you came to in Liverpool, August, that was one of Frank de Boer's four games in charge. So, you you know, not many Palace fans have seen Frank de Boer manage a team. You have. And I think the football today was exactly what Frank de Boer was trying to do at Palace back in August. Yeah, definitely. So that's what I, I told during the first half. So uh, Tom said we were a bit... Uh, sloppy at times in the first half but we, we, we kept the ball we played the ball around good and and you know this is this is what what happened this is what uh, uh, a certain manager called an empire you wanted to 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 implement it palace and 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 basically uh, uh, we just got that so very very pleased do you think Tom Roy doesn't actually quite get the credit for the football that palace play because everyone thinks he's this pragmatic realistic manager and he is in many ways but actually some of the football today and, I, and I'll mention a name to you as well in Ruben Loftus-Cheek who I thought was absolutely brilliant and probably played his way into the World Cup as well the football is probably better than anyone thought Palace or otherwise that Roy Hodgson would bring to Palace 
Definitely. I think the um, <clears throat> stereotype around Hodgson is that teams, he organises their shape and gets them, um, gets them right defensively. But you know, Adam's right. When he said that, I was thinking back and my, my favourite Palace side is the side that finished third in 91. But even then, you know, obviously we had the pace of right up, up front and two wingers. We didn't play anything like the football we're playing now. I can actually remember the 91-92 season. It might have been 92-93, you might tell me, Adam. But a couple, one, one game said, right, we're going to play football on the floor. And we played Southampton at home. And we ended up losing. We lost 2-1. I think Solarco scored. But um, we were incredible. And, you know, you, you looked around the, the stands that day and people were rubbing... You know, sleep out of their eyes thinking if I turned up to the right club yeah. but sadly we lost and um, Steve being pragmatic never never adopted that, that style of football again but you know we talked last week Jim at Stoke about the, the beauty and the benefit of having the same side week in week out and you actually do see people knowing their roles um, having patience on the ball and you talk about managing expectations but it's managing the fans expectations as well because as a Palace fan, you've always sort of grown up with wingers getting the ball in quickly, getting the ball up up front as quick as you can. And actually now, it's about recognising that players are moving the ball to try and get people out of position to um, to create gaps and, and create chances. And if that takes 70 minutes to do like it did today, then then the players do show that patience, believing that it's going to come. And, and, and one of them was, was Ruben. Ruben was absolutely brilliant all game. You know, we're seeing, we've seen the best of him now, aren't we? Yeah, I, you know, I actually thought Wambasaka was um, with the yeah. player, and I don't want to sort of answer the question I want to answer and become <laughs> become a politician. But um, I think Ruben's great. I, you know, I'd love to see him sign. I worry, like I said last week, that his form um, will have alerted other clubs. And Adam and I spoke on the phone yesterday. You've got to wait and see who goes to Chelsea, which which manager goes there, because if Loftus Cheek goes to the World Cup, if he gets an opportunity on the pitch, then. You know, it'd be remiss of someone not to have a look at him at Chelsea. But um, I'd love him to stay there. Wan-Bissaka, to me, for the first 20 minutes, was the best player on the pitch. You know, and it's nothing to do with his age and taking that into account. I just thought he was the best player on the pitch. His first touch is always progressive. I think the fullback role has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years, probably more than any other position on the pitch. But, you know, I played on the left and I was coached, had the benefit of being coached by Jim Cannon for a number of years. And Jim always said to me that fullback's first role is to stop the ball coming into the box. You know, and I used to get so frustrated with, with Joel Ward. It was one of the reasons I struggled to warm to him because wan plays in a position where he affects the ball. And by that, I mean he changes what the wide player has to do. And I think Joel Ward and a number of our fullbacks over the years, certainly Johnny Pye used to do this, stands just that little bit further away from the ball so the wingers can get their cross in. But... Wan-Bissaka backs his ability to defend, defend the position. He blocks the crosses coming in, and he makes the he makes the wide players turn back and do something different. You know, and that's defensively. And then you've got the benefit going forward. He's comfortable on the ball, as I say. His first touch is progressive, and he was our outlet going forward. You know, and he's composed. He's played what seven, eight games, and he's getting the ball. He's not just flinging it into the box. He's willing to sort of come out again and, and set play back up. We have got a player on our hands. I said to Adam at I think it might have been at Huddersfield. You know, he reminds me of Nathaniel Klein. I said to him today, I th- he looks better than Klein did. I think he's fantastic. 
Yeah, he's got he, real, yeah. He, he just did, I don't know, four or five sliding tackles in the first half, in the first 25 minutes. was yeah. was just awesome. He's got real ability, Adam, to, to block those crosses, even when you, or, or even slide in and stop the winger. Even just when you think they're going to get a, a yard, his timing is impeccable. He's been fantastic. And you talk about sort of the academy and the cost to run it and stuff. And, I mean, we haven't got the category status that we're striving for at the club. Uh, Kleine made his debut in 2008 it was in October I remember well you're laughing I remember particularly who are they playing what was the score Barnsley at home (laughs) 3-0 on Sky and uh, you're laughing it's quite sad really my father died that very weekend and I just remember it being around that time and obviously I had the benefit of working with Kleine with the um, with the under 18 team and the next week he played at Charlton for us so He's on Sky playing for Palace. The following Saturday, he's getting changed at half past nine in a porter cabin at Charlton before we are <laughs> youth team game. But I, I knew 100% that A, he'd make it, and B, he'd play for England early days. Fullbacks have this, um, this quality to fit at any level if they've got it. And Kleine had this, this ability, whether he played in the first team or the youth team, to turn out the same performance. One of my very good friends... Uh, who's now the manager of Southend, Chris Powell, was the same as a young lad when I played with him, had this ability, no matter the opposition, the level, the game, whether he ended up playing for England as he did at 31, um, to just perform at the same level regardless of the occasion, the opposition and the level. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I mean, Gary said to me a while ago, he had big hopes for him. Obviously, he got his chance almost by accident, but it just... As Tom says, you suddenly got a twenty odd million pound player on your hands that's come through your system, and for the cost of running the academy, you can probably run the academy for ten or fifteen seasons or more with the proceeds. And 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 again, as you move up the ladder, at every Premier League club, it's very, very, very difficult for a young lad to get into the team. I mean, in the ten years I worked with Gary, we had you know Ben Kajodi coming on for two minutes. Ashley Robinson playing three or four <laughs> games, you know, Kieran Dejali, Kieran Cadogan. But they the opportunity was there because, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And we had to play these people yeah. because Neil Warnock, for instance, would be saying to Gary, oh, I need a wide player. What you got? Who's your best player? What can we do? And that's sort of how it worked then. So now it's a completely different kettle of fish for a player to, to burst through and crack it. And you shouldn't expect the same level, of course, of in terms of number of players. And the quality's even got to be better yeah. to come in and play. So that's a real testament to the kid and how well he's done. I mean, it is so, so difficult. And, and I think he's he looks so exciting. He looks fantastic. I've got to say, you know, let's not get too excited too soon because, you know, these things have a habit of uh, kicking you in the plums. But he, he certainly looks like he's destined for... a a big career doesn't he at this point absolutely we, I think we can all agree and hope that will be the case um, right let's hear from what Roy thought today at Sellhurst after Palace's 2-0 win against West Brom he impresses me every time I see him in training and in matches he's a, he's a fine player um, once again, I 
think that we needed people like him and, 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 and Wilf and Andros today because they are hard defence to unlock and you're not going to unlock it by using the time they give you in front of the defence to hoist balls into the penalty area or hit deep crosses because they're, they've got a fantastic goalkeeper and they've got some outstanding back players and, you know, tall and, and strong in the air so we knew we had to play through them um, and uh, as I say as a result I was impressed very very much by, by the way the players went about it yeah, it was very nice, of course, and I'm proud of the fact that it wasn't just the Palace fan, but even the West Brom from fans, they even initiated it, which was nice of them. But I mean, our fans have been like that right the way through. You know, Every time I come here, every time we have a game, I get an incredible reception both before and after the game, and I'm extremely grateful for that, I'm really grateful, because it's you know very well that... Uh, you know, fans are not often easy to please. So when they when they show their respect and support and gratitude, maybe for what I and the team have done, you've got to be very happy about that, and you've got to to not be at all nonchalant about it all, and don't take it for granted. I certainly don't do that. I know this isn't going to happen all the time that I'm here at Crystal Palace, but I'm really enjoying the moment, and I will be lying if I if I said any other one. Where does the sprang? I think the problem for you know a lot of my career has been abroad and it's been one or two achievements abroad which have been quite good but are less well known over over here um, so the status that I enjoy in countries like Sweden and Switzerland is so it can be very hard for me to ever maintain that sort of status or, or to get finished knighthoods that's not going to be easy to get for me in this country so I don't know quite where I rank achievements and uh, I'm so proud and so pleased about this one but I don't want to start saying well this is my finest ever achievement because there have been a lot of people in Sweden, Switzerland and Finland saying well what about us you know we, we lifted you onto a platform as well we saw um, you might I mean obviously you during the match I saw a banner from a young kid <laughs> well, maybe they, maybe they've been in touch with the Finnish embassy. Right, we've also been linked with other clubs again this morning. Just put into words how important it is that he starts next season. Yeah, I think that's going to happen all the time. But I mean, that's what it's going to be now, isn't it? You know, between now and and the 9th of August, every day, if you want, I'll be able to pick up a, uh, a newspaper and find Wilf or, or several other of our players. It would not surprise me. I link with other clubs and I'll also read about all the players we're going to sign. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, until a day comes when uh, an offer is made which the club accepts, I just allow that speculation to wash over my head. Um, Wilf knows how much we value him as a player and as a person because he's an important figure for us. He, he's literally a Croydon lad who's you know, really dedicated his career to Crystal Palace Football Club and has been helped to be fair by Crystal Palace Football Club to become the player he is today. He has a long term contract uh, he's obviously one of our best paid players as, as well he should be and he knows full well that uh, the last thing on anybody's mind here is letting him go we don't need to sell him 
that's for sure. The club aren't saying to me, we need money, therefore we must sell a player. In fact, the opposite, we're going to try and keep the colonel of this group of players, this, this team together, and replace any who leave, or, or hopefully maybe strengthen in, in one or two areas, so that next season we make certain that if we're going to finish 11th again, and if we do, that would be a good achievement, I think, if we can get middle of the table again, um, we'll have to be satisfied with that, because we have modest, modest expectations for the moment, but if we're going to get there, we can't do it like we did this year. It's going to have to be a much more solid, consistent performance from the start. And we're not going to be have, to have that situation we had for a long period of time where, quite frankly, we were getting 11 players on the field who were you know, good enough to do the job, but there was very little help and support from behind because we had 10 players on the injury list. I don't expect, I don't know, I'm just... I'm just uh, uh, ready for what's going to happen. Um, both Doug Freeman and myself, in connection, of course, with the owners, we're in constant discussions about what could be done, what needs to be done. But football is thinking on your feet. You know, you, you don't you don't leave tonight, go on holiday, and then never give Crystal Palace and you know football a thought until the. Uh, 2nd of July or whatever it is when we start again. You're thinking about it all the time, you're in discussions all the time. It's a, it's a constantly changing world. And we've got to be aware of that changing world and ready to adapt to it. But on the other hand, and I think what I'm about to say now is every, every bit as important as that, we need a philosophy, we need a clear idea of where we want this club to go and how we want to build, if you like, on this success, which, to be fair is a success of the last two or three games because two or three games ago we could so easily be relegated. It could have been us down and West Brom up. We mustn't start thinking because we finished 11th that that's where we are. If we want to finish 11th, we've got to do what Burnley have done this season, what Leicester have done this season and never be close to the relegation zone. OK. Thanks OK. Very much. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome back to the Five Year Plan Extra podcast here at Celeste. Palace have beaten West Brom 2-0 on the final day of the season. This pod is sponsored by Miranda Jane Photography. For professional, unique photography of weddings and more, go to mirandajaneephotography.co.uk. Right, so I feel like we've pretty much covered the game. I mean, not much happened in the game, let's be honest. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some of the goodbyes because we said goodbye to Damo on the pitch there, Celsi, didn't we? He had a nice message to the fans. That was one of the ones that we sort of know is going, but, you know, with Wardy as well, so certainly, let's talk about Damo, what a servant he's been. And shame he didn't get on the pitch, but a nice moment for him to say goodbye to the fans. He has been absolutely incredible for Crystal Palace. And, you know, I, I get quite frustrated sometimes with people, detractors, when they talk about some of these lads. Damien Delaney cost us nothing. Damien Delaney wasn't wanted by Ipswich Town when he came to Crystal Palace. I can ask you all, and you can look at me and, and, and say this whether, whether I'm crazy or not, I didn't expect him to play Premier League football for Crystal Palace even after promotion. No one so, did. He so, wouldn't have yeah, thought that. But that's testament to the bloke. You know What a great story that the bloke's managed to keep his level up. And he's a very, very good professional. His fitness and his... And his levels have been unbelievable to play that time in the Premier League. And he's one of those people that's helped Crystal Palace where they are, you know. And I know it's very easy for us to talk about 
Wilfred, obviously, with his talent and some of the wonderful players at our disposal now. But let's not forget that the likes of these lads like Damien Delaney are the very reason we're here in the first place and, and we've stayed here. You know, you, you talk about players from, from that era. Jedinak obviously was another that had a very... Murray, they all had a very big influence. You know, I was talking about Julian the other day with somebody... And I, and I said, sorry, Julian to you lot. But, no, uh, I prefer he, Julian. His missus likes it, Julian, better, yeah. So, but the, uh, I, you know, I said to somebody, I can't remember a player in Crystal Palace's history, certainly recent history, that's been so influential in our fortunes. You know, stopped us being relegated in administration with some wonderful displays, helped us get promotion to the Premier League. And let's be honest, in the first Premier League season, I heard somebody say the other day, I don't know if it was on a podcast, saying, oh, you know, Julian won the player of the season in the in the first season we were up, you know, because everyone thought he was going. No, he kept us in the Premier League in the second half of the season almost single-handedly. You know, it wasn't... And I think sometimes with Damo, with Jules, these kind of lads, they sort of get this, oh, you know, they're great lads at Crystal Palace. But it's actually slightly disrespectful to the level of their performance and what they've actually done for the club, you know. And I think in Damien's case, I mean, Julian's situation isn't clear at the moment. That's sort of an ongoing conversation. But, you know, these guys, whatever happens here or not, you know, have, have done wonderful things for us. And these haven't been the big salary earners. You know, if Johan Kabai goes... You know, he's come in and earned a fortune. He's been very good for us, don't get me wrong. But, you know, that's the sort of next step. And Damo and probably Coolian are the last of that sort of uh, that era. Like, And I think the fans, you know, have that special attachment to them because they recognise that perhaps, as I said to you, and certainly in Jules' case, I can't think of anybody that's stopped. There's no player that's still here that's done so much, taking us from one end of the scale to the other. So, and again with Damien... You know, to get him for nothing, to end up doing what he did, yeah. he deserves great respect and credit, and I'm glad he got the reception that he did. And there are there aren't many players in that ilk really in the Premier League anywhere, really, Akos, to be honest. And we've got three or four of them today, but obviously their futures are unknown. You spoke to Johan. I was in the mix zone waiting for him. He blanked all the journos, but you managed to speak to him in French. And he, yes, what did he uh, say about yeah, next season? I have a very quick chat with him uh, in French, and I asked him whether uh, he stays at Palace. And he replied, uh, je ne sais pas encore, uh, which means I don't know yet. So, <laughs> so that, was the, that, was the, that was the answer from Johan. Yeah, no, that officially means the FYP podcast is now very cultured because we've done some of the pod in French, Tom. Um, another, I can do Polish for you as well if you I want. I spoke to Yarek Yak, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I asked him if he was staying. And he said, yes, you near him, which actually means I'm not sure yet. Either. <laughs> um, another other player that didn't play today, he was on crutches. Very good. <laughs> That's very good. Brilliant. Wardy was there on crutches today. That's why he wasn't playing. No, it is native Essex. I don't know. Um, but he's another one. We don't know what's happening with him next season. But another one similar to Damo, similar to Jules, that's just been such a great servant for Palace. Yeah. And you know what? I am quite critical of uh, Joel Ward. But um, Adam's absolutely right. You know, and the shame of being in the Premier League, uh, uh, the one shame, I suppose, apart from the fact that you can't break into the top six, is that. You can no longer relate to the players who you struggle to once they earn significant amounts of money. But someone like Julian Speroni, you know, Joel Ward, Damien Delaney, even Wilf, you know, and I know he's a top earner now. These are the people you can relate to. And these are the people that 
sort of warm your heart and you, you can picture Damien Delaney at Wembley breaking down in tears and they're the images yeah they're the images that you always retain and Joel Ward much as I'm not a massive fan of his he's been committed you know for five years in the premiership and years before that he played the year we got got promoted didn't we yeah, yeah six years um, he's been totally committed and he came in and was part of our success story and it shouldn't be forgotten Adam's right he touched upon it earlier on you know the the key to our success in previous years has been defence and he was he was integral to that and uh, if he does go he is someone who will go down in Palace's folklore as, as being a key figure Do you worry a little bit that, that obviously the longest day in the Premier League the less you get stories like this you know if Palace are going to kick on you probably won't there'll be more turnover you won't get the, the, the Wardies and the Damos and the Jewels of this world anymore It's sad you know and it does happen can you relate to the players anymore you know you talk about the mix zone and you know the fact that players walk through the mix zone and they ignore you you know, even outside, you know, the ground as we are now, the players used to walk out and you could mix with them, whereas that's now segregated too. And it's the way modern, fo- modern football's going. You know, social media, some of the players don't even run their Twitter um, themselves as, as they've been showing up to see. But, you know, you can't have it both ways, I suppose. You know, you get Sky's money and players now earn in excess of £100,000 and... and you can't relate to that, I'm afraid. I think Jim's. Well, I can't. I don't earn that. So. <laughs> no, only, only one of us only can. On, I only think. On a Monday, that, JD, <laughs> can I just mention, by the way, you're talking about the social media. Unfortunately, that cuts both ways because obviously they're subject they're, they're subjected to some quite nasty stuff, also. Yeah. And actually, I wouldn't advise any player to run their own social media because they shouldn't be reading half the things that are written about them and what they're subjected to. So. So unfortunately, that cuts both ways. The minute that you you give somebody the opportunity and the access to someone, there's always an idiot or two that feels necessary to to to, to have a pop at somebody or whatever. And whatever your opinion, I can't say I ever feel the inclination, nor should anyone else, to be abusive to a player or put them down through social media. So I, I get that. Tom. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's just one example, you know, that I gave of um, players how possibly they don't relate to fans anymore. I think we've been lucky at Palace with people like Joel Ward, with Speroni, with Delaney and others over the years, Punch and Wilf, you know, that we that we do have that and it'll be sad to see that go. Even the new signings like Tompkins, Sacco, so they bought into this you know, this spirit yeah. which we which we have uh, uh, at the club. So when I when I did my, my uh, interview with Gabor Kirai, so he was so emotional about Palace and he, he only spent three seasons with us so this is this is you know this is Palace and and, 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 and I, <laughs> our players understand it well I think I, I have to say to you actually uh, Jim that after the game I sat with uh, Ben Foster for five or ten minutes he's one of my goalkeepers yeah. and he actually said to me I said oh did you like the, the, the reception you got when you're leaving the field he said this is a fantastic club every time you play here Fans are incredible behind the team. He said, what a great place to come and play football every week if you're a player at this club. So it was nice that he recognised that that bond as well and that feeling around the place. And I think we're very lucky. This is a golden era for Crystal Palace. I hope it's the beginning of something bigger and better. But we've had quite a few false dawns in this time. And, you know, generally the... uh, 
in the past, and I know you're a little bit younger, JD. But the Thanks, the sale of uh, yeah, the sale us old boys, the sale of Kenny Santum to Arsenal sort of began to unravel the team of the eighties and the upward curve. The sale of Ian Wright to Arsenal began to unravel that sort of upward curve under Steve Coppel and so on. And I I really hope that you know the Wilfred Zaha scenario isn't isn't the same and. And I, I'm actually, you know, having chatted with a couple of people during the week, I have to say, much as you're reading all that somebody said to me today, oh, I saw the back page, Wilfred to Manchester City, £50 million. Don't think for one minute that £50 million surely is going to, going to do. £150 million might be more appropriate. And quite honestly, I don't think anybody would pay what we think he's worth. So I'm hopeful and confident that he'd be. The other side of it, of course, is what would you do in replacing him? And again, taking a business case, if you sold him for £100 million and you could buy three or four new players with that, there are three or four wages you'd have to put at a similar level to where he is. So it'd actually cost you on the payroll, even losing him, you know, a huge amount of money. So I, I hope that everybody's... I mean, Steve's a very smart guy and uh, I'm sure he's he's already one step ahead and I hope that, uh, you know, fingers crossed that everything works out because uh, he's fantastic to come and watch. He's an absolute delight. You know, uh, you know you, you'd now, perhaps again, I'm very biased having worked with the kid and I love him, but he's got to be the, the greatest player in the history of Crystal Palace, surely. Yeah, well, I totally agree. Um, and thinking about uh, selling him for money, Garrett... Uh, when Tottenham sold Gareth Bale, they had, they had the exact same problem when they sold Bale and they bought four players and they weren't very good. Um, well, we're talking about Wilf, I'm sure, in future podcasts over the summer. I'm sure that'll be a theme that will go run throughout the pod. Let's talk finally then, Akosh, about the fans today because we saw that brilliant display before the game with all the red and blue bits of paper and the Crystal Palace Football Club. And then during the second half, there was a banner for Roy and Roy was lapping up the applause. Well, Roy doesn't really ever lap up applause, but he was certainly <laughs> applauding the fans back. He looks quite embarrassed by it. I don't think he quite enjoys it's being great. centre of attention. Great, but it was, know, that makes it even better, doesn't it? The fans were great, and obviously you've come over here today from Hungary as well, but every season, no matter what happens, the Palace, we get to the end of the season, Palace fans seem to step up to, the, to another level, don't they? They're, they're just always fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, this, is, this is why uh, I decided not to go to any of their games anymore so I did it once this season at Liverpool because I miss you know this this feeling at Selhurst meeting mates friends uh, discussing having a chat so this is this is this is all about Palace so this is this is the club uh, I really love so and obviously this is the fans and they were they were just you know fantastic today as well Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it, Tom? <laughs> it's beautiful. But it was, I mean, you know, and Ben Foster talking about the Palace fans. I think sometimes we, all, we almost, and there'll be a lot of them listening to this podcast, almost take ourselves for granted sometimes a little bit. And when, when the chips are down, you know, we're still, we're the fans that still cheer Ben Teke when he misses a last minute penalty and when he hasn't scored for 20 games. And today we turn up and we do these banners and stuff. We do things, we do things right here, don't we? Yeah, we do. And we saw that at Stoke last week. And Actually, the reaction of Peter Crouch on, on Twitter last week makes you realise how sort of unprecedented um, that kind of thing is, really. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, I'm not the most sentimental guy, but I just thought there was an element of... It was so nice today. And I was listening to Roy Hodgson, and the man is so dignified and so well-spoken and just so respectable and so decent. And 
I just thought how lucky we were to have him as our manager when I was listening to him speak today and uh, just there was a real tone of appreciation around the ground today um, for everything the players have achieved and you got the feeling that the players appreciated that too. But we are good fans, you know, and uh, I can remember we lost to Sunderland 4-0 last year and we got booed off the pitch and I spoke to a friend of mine who works at the club and I said, oh, what did um, Sam Allardyce make of that? And he said, uh, well, pre- clubs he'd been at previously, they'd have been absolutely <laughs> walking out after half an hour. He said he thought it was quite tame. You know, it takes a lot for a Palace fan to turn their team and uh, I think we're good fans. I don't, I don't think on that, sorry, J.D., no, that, that anyone should turn on their team. I didn't end up following Crystal Palace as a six-year-old 42 years ago because I thought we were going to win every trophy and there was to be one every season and so on. It's my club, it's because it's where I come from and, and it's what I identify with and that essentially is what being a fan is about and that's probably why it's actually more enjoyable. Yeah. You know, it, it's... I, I still cannot get my head around uh, this sort of plastic football fan that follow. I, you know, I said to you about I was talking to Ben, so we were sitting in the director's box just after the game in the seats when he walked up and we chatted after everyone had gone in, and one of our stewards came up and said, uh, "All right, Ben, I'm a big Manchester United fan." I said, "Oh, where do you live?" Carshalton. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the ridicule he was subjected to. But these people can't enjoy it in the same way. You know, we've got a great fan base. We've not had great success. The club's on an upward curve. We've got an excellent manager, the best squad we've ever had, many, many fantastic players, a great chairman. The stadium's going to get developed. Everything is, is, is upward curve now for us, and everyone should be positive and give credit where it's due to the manager, to the chairman and, and, and the playing squad. And, you know, we don't, we don't have to sell our best players. You know, we're not vulnerable all the time to all this kind of stuff. You know, it really gives us a chance to to move forward, doesn't it? So yeah. let's hope we can. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end the pod. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much all for being on the pod. Selzy, Tom. Cheers, Jim. And Akos, thanks very much. Cheers. Top Thank man. you, JD. An enjoyable season finished off in style. <laughs> I like that. Good. Right, thanks for joining us. Thanks f- to you, of course, for your services during the season wow. for the fans. Cheers, who I'm sure should be very appreciative of what that's you do because you run an incredible service for these fans and uh, you're underappreciated, trust no, me. No, yeah, I'm blushing. That's very kind. Um, right, we're back with you with the main pod during the week, last pod of the season, so look out for that. But in the meantime, enjoy your weekend and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Podcast Network.